When a quinceañera happens, families are coming to the church to ask for a blessing. They might be church shopping, they might not. Some are very involved and have, you know, are girls who are very involved in their youth group and wanna have quinceañera, others may not, but it's like, that does show something about their faith. Whether it may be the size of a mustard seed or as big as, I don't know, like just faithful Catholics, but it expresses something about their, their faith and the family's faith. What role do milestones and life stages play in our walk of faith? How do we incorporate cultural moments into the fabric of our religious experience? In today's episode, startup founder and OSV Innovation Challenge finalist Alejandra Herrera shares how building a platform around a specific rite of passage can illuminate young people in the journey of discovery and faith. It is important to know what quinceañera is, but like it's like we need to know who are the quinceañeras. Like, what are they going through day to day? Like, what are their experiences? Who are they? And with the whole living in between cultures, like sometimes you just, for me, you don't feel Mexican enough, you don't feel American enough. So it's like, I've just learned to live in the in-between space, but at the end of the day too, knowing that I'm created by God and that's what matters. By embracing innovation and applying it to our unique cultures, we can bring people closer to one another and closer to God. This is Living the Call. Alejandra Herrera, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. It's so great to have you on. I guess you're happy today on a Monday because both Incarnate Word and Notre Dame won this weekend. Yes. <laughs> I am especially happy for that. <laughs> uh, Incarnate Word is the Cardinals, right? Isn't that their mascot? Correct. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't even know much about them as a football team, but they're actually a pretty good football team in their conference. So um, I, I was in San Antonio recently, as I think you and I talked about in our kind of pre in our warm up to the show. And uh, I got a chance to kind of like drive by the campus. Pretty, pretty impressive place. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. a beautiful place. <laughs> Did you live on campus when you were there or did you live uh, at home? I lived at home. I was a commuter. Yeah. So um yeah, I lived at home, went to community college, and so it was kind of, I worked a lot and stuff like that, so it was hard to, you know, be on campus um, living there, but I lived with my parents during that time. Mm-hmm. And a pretty big shift when you went to go uh, to uh, South Bend, right, to Notre Dame? Yes, it was. Um, you know, new city, new people, bigger university, so um, yeah, it was a transition, a shift, but but a great one, though, and a wonderful experience. Um, and now I'm back in San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, very cool. How big is Notre Dame, by the way, student body? How big is that school? I think it's about probably like 10,000 undergrad and 3,000 grad students, so about roughly around 13,000, I think, pretty, I believe. <laughs> pretty decent-sized university. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I have never actually been on that campus, but of course it's something that is storied and very well known and um you know particularly in the catholic space so you've had the great privilege of being at two very good schools um and uh that's something not a lot of people get to experience Mm -hmm. yeah no i have um been great blessing to be able to attend to those universities and um yeah never did i think i was going to attend either one um but yeah i've been blessed um, mm-hmm. for that experience and for my mentors and professors and everybody, um, classmates that I was able to have that experience with. And so I'm grateful for that. Was the school experience for, we, I want to get into a bunch of stuff with you, but I'm just curious on the school experience. Cause you touched on something when we had our, our preliminary conversation that I thought was kind of interesting about sort of Notre Dame being the sense of like the big time, you know, like the sort of like bigger school and all this other stuff. 
was your sense of like, you know, given your background, um, and are you first generation? Are you second generation? What's your, what's your background in terms of your So second nativity? generation. Second okay. generation. So mm-hmm. in first generation, I was like to co- going to college here. Yeah. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. Was your yeah, that, experience. That was... Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I, I was like, I said, I was part of like, I think um, also the, the hardship of the experience. Mm-hmm. Mm. How so? Um, I mean, you know, I recall like just ha- having a challenging time of um, being, my parents have always like supported me and um, mm-hmm. my parents have always supported me throughout the process. Um, but I would say challenging in the sense of being the first one um, out of my family to go to undergrad and then grad school. Um, I have a lot of cousins here in San Antonio, so I'm the oldest actually out of all of them. And so the first one to do that, um, and yeah, just the support of, you know, not knowing kind of like what route to go or what to do or how to seek help. But throughout the process, again, like the mentors and the professors, I think we're always there to guide me through the process. Um, but it's kind of like one that requires a lot of work. And that sometimes um, if you're willing to put the work and willing to seek out help, we, you know, you can achieve those things. But it, it is challenging when you're the first out of, out of you know, your family, out of many. It, it, it's such an interesting thing because we, uh, even though I'm first generation American, you're second generation, but we have a similar experience in the sense that, you know, my dad, my family came from Columbia. My dad went to like City College here in L.A., but it was like a night school thing. It wasn't sort of the collegiate experience. And growing up as a kid, I don't know that I really had much of that, um, that I was brought up with this idea of university as a natural point of evolution from, you know, secondary, post-secondary, you know, uh, studies, right? So like high school to college. When my brother, who's two years older, got into uh, college, he was going to go off to school to Tampa. We were living in South Florida at the time. I remember he came and he showed me that, that like acceptance letter. And it was, and you know, I was only two years younger. I was like a sophomore in high school. And it was seeing that letter from him that instantly made, like, it seems kind of dumb to even think about it now. But like, for me, it was, oh, wow. Like, I guess I will go to college. And it was like almost the first time that I'd thought about it. And it it had all the, it's kind of like a dumb thing again, but it was so new and possible by virtue that my brother was going to go off that it automatically made it like, it gave me permission to like, to, to consider the same. And same like you, it was like first, you know, first four year school, first deal with dorm rooms and all these firsts and not having like the, the kind of uh, historical or muscle memory or family memory to tap into where you could ask somebody like, okay, what, what can you expect? And, you know, how do you do X, Y, and Z? And, and that's like a common part of, of sort of the, the immigrant or immigrant child experience in a way, because you experience a lot of these, these firsts, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Um, I think I recall like, you know, because I also went to community college, which was that was challenging in itself. And I felt like I was there a little longer than I should have, um, but then transitioned and transferred over to Incarnate Word. Um, but it's just yeah, the, the, those first of like leading the way or, um, you know, creating the path for those that follow after you within your family um, is challenging. And I think sometimes it can discourage us from mm. taking those routes. Um you know, I wish it didn't, but I think, you know, and I think, you know, we talked a little about this also uh, over the, our phone call, but even just leaving home, you know, it's like, 
of like, why are you going to go so far away? Like for school, there's good schools here. <laughs> right. You know, exactly. um, that, that question of like, stay close to home. Um, but like I said, I had great people kind of like say like, you know, just um, spread your wings. And um, there are great universities here in Texas. And I've gone to one of them and, you know, explore a little more outside of Texas. Um, but it's easy to just stay home and stay around here close to family and, you know, not try to go see or mm-hmm. uh, experience the unknown, um, which can be challenging for many young adults, I would say. That kind of concern that you just said about why go so far away? That is like a universal Latina mom uh, concern yes. across all cultures. It's like, you know what I mean? I remember being in my mid-20s and my mom was was just dying for me to come back and live. And I mean, I think she'd have me now. I'm 48 and she'd want me to you know live in her house. So that's a universal theme. What about with your, your, your kind of field of study? Um, and I want to get into you know, what you're doing now in particular, because I think that this insight ties to this, but what about like the idea of studying theology, divinity, you know, the study of God, like actually majoring in those areas? Was that something, even though you come from a family that's got that kind of religious background and cultural and otherwise, but did you have any resistance from that along the way? Like, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that? Are you going to, how are you going to survive? Did that ever come up? Um, you know, not so much with my parents, Mm. I would say most with other family members, um, because my parents, um, saw and witnessed me working at a parish. So I worked at a parish for seven years. And so since I was home during that time, they saw that, you know, I had a full-time job and that I was also part-time and full-time going to school. So they, you know, they saw that it was a profession, you know, like that I could work for the church. Um, so, and then when I, you know, told them like that I felt called to studying, uh, theology, I think they really understood that because they saw how much, um, time I invested in the church and the love that I had for the students I worked with. Um, but I do think I did get a little pushback just here and there with other family members of kind of like, you know, why are you going to study that? Or like, what do you do with that? And I think it's just really interesting to think about, um, you know, the call to ministry and for us to study theology. Um, Because as I thought about, you know, what I was going to do, you know, and you think about like a lot of families, especially if they're immigrants, um, you know, they come here for their children to maybe for a better future, right? So to be a lawyer, a doctor, engineer, whatever it may be. Um, And then to decide to study theology and work for the church, it's kind of like, well, we didn't really imagine your future to be that, but okay, um, you know. So I I think for me, I was very blessed that my parents understood my call to ministry because they witnessed my my work and um, Mm -hmm. the fruits of it while I was at the parish. And so it was a little easier for them to understand that. Um, I think at the very beginning, maybe when I started working at the church, it was kind of like, oh, what do you do? You know, what do you do? What's your day to day life um, there? Um, and there were, you know, things that I was exploring at first before um, to making that decision. But I would say it is challenging for many um, people and young adults to kind of think of like, this could be something I could do as, you know, a profession, like right to study theology, to be a minister, lay minister or, you know, whatever it may be. Um and that it is a career that I decide to choose. Now, again, I, I was very blessed um, to work at a parish that had full-time employees and that paid. Um, I know there's a lot of 
places where they don't they don't have the resources for that right so uh, people have to have other full-time jobs and in addition to that volunteer um so it just depends kind of like where what area you're in and all that um so i would say a little bit from others um it was more kind of like the moving away and (laughs) the why so long you know what like why why do you you already you're already in school for i would like said three plus two five years and then you're gonna go off to school for another again again um why so much school (laughs) it's gonna work for the church (laughs) well and i think that dynamic too around you know parishes that have the resources and some parishes don't to pay for full-time employees is part of a larger um distinction that sometimes exists between the church in the u.s and the church mm-hmm. in the countries that our parents and relatives come from, because, you know, from a from a Latin American context, the idea of the church as employer or even the broader vineyard of the church having employment opportunities is kind of a not as well-known thing, right, in, in our countries of origin, where most of the roles that relate to the church are volunteer roles, or they're ones where just the tithing supports the priest and maybe the maybe a secretary or whatever, but there's really not like that influence infrastructure. And here in the U.S., not only do we have, to your point, a lot of parishes that actually themselves have resources and dioceses, of course, but then you've also got these things that are kind of ancillary to the parish and diocesan experience, apostolates and ministries and these other things and publishers Mm -hmm. and media companies. So you can take that, you know, educational experience and apply it, it seems to me, in a much broader, you know, kind of canvas of opportunities. Yes, I totally agree with that. That you can expand, you know, um, that, you know, for the longest time, I think when I was just working at, when I was working at the parish, I really saw my life as, oh, I could be here forever, you know, but once I went off to grad school and saw other opportunities, I really saw that it's like, oh, we do, you know, people do way more than parish work, um, diocesan work, um, you know, and, and it expands to so many other great things, which is what I've been doing lately, you know, exploring um, and kind of learning a little bit here and there from others and what other people do. And I think we, yeah, here in the United States, we have, um, we also have those resources that we can use to have those great opportunities because it's not something um, that I think is available to everybody in other countries. It isn't, um, but, yeah. But hopefully with the resources that we create here in the United States, we're able to expand those resources to other countries and for them to have access to them, um, which have I you, think is important. Have you, mm-hmm. For sure. Have you found, like, you, so you're a master's in divinity, right? That's your your kind of academic educational uh, background. But have you found that that area of study has helped you in other areas? Because now you're also an entrepreneur, right? And you've got your own thing that you're <laughs> launching. And we're going to talk about that. And so you're, you're yes. dealing with a lot of stuff, right? Like fundraising and marketing and all these other things. Have you found that your, your schooling in theology has in some way shaped or helped these other disciplines that you're now involved oh, in? Oh, mm-hmm. most definitely. Um, you know, part of huge part of the um, program, the MDiv program that I was in, was forming the holistic person, like in all areas. So not just the intellect, but also the spiritual, the human, the pastoral. So I had the great opportunity of taking classes, you know, in preaching, in pastoral administration, like in so many different things, and you know, electives um, to tap into an interest that I had. So it wasn't just you know learning theology and how to um, minister to others, but really you know, to, to expand that beyond because we are called to do many things in ministry. That's not just, you know, um, 
fitted to one thing or the other. So I would say most definitely, like, with my, um, with what I'm doing now with Bendecida um, and the opportunity of creating a business plan that I had to do this past summer, I told some of my professors, like, I'm happy to say that that essay long, <laughs> you know, um, essay that I wrote in May became a business plan. So, you know, I was, I definitely would say that I have been given the tools in many different um, areas that has allowed me to expand what I'm um, going to be doing. And, and I'm just really excited about, about yeah. that. Yeah. For sure. Uh, I was talking to, I forget who it was. It was on the show a few weeks ago. I mean, I don't remember, I'll remember in a second who it was, but we were talking about the idea of, and this is a person who, not uh, the theology background or divinity background, but somebody who's got a very entrepreneurial background, but, you know, is is a very committed Catholic. And um, they were talking, we were talking about this idea of taking secular things like marketing strategy and whatever, but baptizing them, right? Putting them in a Christian mm-hmm. context mm-hmm. and the importance of doing that. But it seems to me it can also work in reverse, right? Or you can almost have the theological background and then figure out like what is, in a way, kind of like the theology of marketing, the mm-hmm. theology of administration, right? You can kind of you can kind of look at it in both ways. I'm excited whenever we can just baptize something that's secular and say, hey, now we can use it in the church, because I find a lot of the times in church circles, people don't know about these things that have been successful from a secular standpoint. But but it's true that it can work if you start from that context of theology, mm-hmm. And kind of look out at the at, look out at the world through that lens. It can also work in that way as well. Yeah. No. And you know, going to your question too, I was just thinking about um, one of the reasons why I wanted to continue to go to school and get a master's was because when I was at the parish and I was directing a middle school program. I found myself day to day, you know, doing things for fundraisers, um, doing marketing, creating flyers, like all these little different skills I needed that I was like, well, I realized I was like, wow, I'm doing way more than, you know, working with my kids and ministering to them and teaching them about scripture or whatever it may be or forming catechists. Like I was I found myself day to day doing a lot of other things. Um, So I I see. all the connectedness, right, that occurs between all of them and how can we, you know, bring one thing into another and the other into the other space, like like you, like you said right now. It's also a question, you know, which is theological, about understanding the sovereignty of God, because God is king of marketing, king of the email, king of your calendar, right? It's like, it's understanding, you know, the, the realm, the, you know, the, the, the breadth and scope of his kingdom encompasses all things, time, uh, your business plan, like every single aspect, right? So it's also in a way helpful to look at, at least for me, to look at it in that sense about, you know, these things that we pick up, they are part of God's plan that, that are in front of us. And obviously we need to use it, use them to good ends, but we can put them to work, um, you know, in the context of this kind of broader spiritual plan that God's laying out for each of us in our own, in, you know, in our own unique way. No, I guess, I mean, I totally agree with that. Like to just think about um, how we are called within God's plan to, you know, be a part of all the little things, you know, like we, we just make up each individual is called to something, right. Yep. To serve in some way. And that together we're able to move forward and help one another and bring people closer to the gospel. Um, Amen. 
And that is, you know, what I try to do. <laughs> um, most of my work has been a lot with um, youth, but I have found myself too that I've enjoyed working with young adults, trying to see if like, how can I help other young adults? You know, I went through um, a process of discernment in, you know, my work and my studies. And it's not something that's easy or something that, you know, like some sometimes people have to just push you a little bit or plant that seed um, and see what, you know, I can serve what others. What comes from it. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. let's mm -hmm. talk about let's talk about that seed, because you mentioned to me this kind of Holy Spirit prompt, right? This sort of moment, and I'd love to understand when in your journey that happened, of kind of this recognition of there not being a space. I think that's how you described it, kind of a space for Latinas, right? People like you mm -hmm. who were coming up with this experience, maybe second, third generation, who were like finding themselves in these, you know, areas or sectors or disciplines or jobs or whatever it was, but for the first time and like kind of not being, there not being a lot of connective tissue there and that you identified that, that space, the lack of that space almost as an opportunity, which by the way is super entrepreneurial, just so you know, that's like, <laughs> that's like looking out at the market and going, Hey, there's a gap in the market. There's a white space in the market, mm -hmm. right? It's like, mm -hmm. how do I solve for that? But let, let's talk about that that prompt from the Holy Spirit and what that's led led you to. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think like all the little um, experiences that kind of have all these moments, right, that I've encountered. Um, and I think it comes also from a place where like I grew up not around, you know, I, I grew up a lot of around a lot of Latina women. You know, I have a lot of primas, a lot of tias, my mom, my, my abuelita, um, and just seeing like the role that they've played in my life. Um, of course, you know, also like my father and uncles and grandpa as well, but um, just like these roles, you know, the role of women, Latinas, and kind of like, what what is it that we do? You know, where is it that we find ourselves and how is it that we express ourselves? And are we you know, given the ability or like the role for us to be in more like leadership positions or to kind of, um, you know, kind of make some decision, bigger decisions on things and not kind of always just be, um, you know, in the back. I mean, and not that the goal is to, you know, have do certain things, but it's more of like, we're already doing a lot of work <laughs> yeah. um, from what I've witnessed from all the women I witnessed, but it's really kind of like, where's that space where we can um, connect and empower one another and um, talk with one another and see ourselves in, in other places, you know, like mm. I see myself in my family and in certain places, but it's like, do you see yourself in your catechist or in your teachers or in your church or, you know, like all those places where um, sometimes you might feel like you're not um, as present, like Latinas are not as present um, and you're kind of like seeking that, right? Because you're seeking for someone that may either speak like you or look like you or have, you know, just like the same ideas as you or the same experience. I think, you know, experience and narrative is huge, right? Of It like, is what yeah. we call lo cotidiano, the everyday life, or like la lucha, the struggle, um, those little things. So I would say that definitely like the Holy Spirit has guided me through those experiences I've had with women. 
um, as my own personal development, but then also working with other young Latinas and Latinas mm. of my age. Um, and I would say, I don't know, I'm just trying to think like, it was many instances, but there was something that when I realized that I, I really wanted to work with uh, young Latinas, particularly, I was like, where, you know, I've worked with youth for so long, but I was like, where, where are they? And then I realized they're like celebrating a lot of quinceañeras, you know? Um, and so <laughs> that's when I had this realization of like, that's very niche. Like that's very like, it's young Latinas, like only that, you know, um, of all different backgrounds though. Some who are first gen, third, second, third, speak Spanglish, English, Spanish, whatever it may be. But it's like the Latina experience that they have um, and that they're eager to share their experience or encounter others who have their experience or encounter others um, who, yeah, who, who, who can understand them, I would say, I guess. One of the many reasons why I was excited to have you on the show is that I'm a huge fan of what you're building with Bendecida. Um, for those of for those who don't know um, about Bendecida, you know I came obviously you'll share more, but I came across it um, as a you know one of the finalists in the OSV challenge for this last cycle. I guess that was 2021, right? Whatever that cycle mm-hmm. was, and that you know for people who don't know is a essentially kind of like an entrepreneurial accelerator where you know very much taking a page out of the secular business world you know, OSV brought has, is, is looking to bring together and support people who have entrepreneurial visions about innovation within the church. And the winners of this, these, this, these accelerator programs basically get a, a you know, pretty significant six figure grant to then help, um, you know, stand up their, their, uh, their apostolate ministry, business product, whatever it happens to be. And it does run the gamut. But when I heard about, um, Bendecida for the first time, and I, and literally I read like that, one sentence thing that was like, you know, that they came out in some of the marketing material about what <laughs> Bendecida was. And I'm telling you, Alejandra, when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is genius. Because what you've hit upon, okay, and, and, and you know, I don't want to like rush this part of it because I really think it's significant. What you've hit upon is a super, super critical insight, okay? And that's how you know it's of God, right? Which mm-hmm. is if you zoom out, and you look at, this is how I see it, okay? I don't know if you would say it this way, but this is how I, I see it. It's like, if you zoom out and you look at the spiritual journey of a young person, right? Increasingly, the young person is going to be Latino. That's just the reality of the American church. Mm-hmm. So now you're talking about a young Latino person, right? And then you, you add a kind of lens to that and go, okay, well, what does that look like when I zoom out? And then you see this experience driven by heritage and family custom and country of origin and a thousand different things that makes that moment of quinceañera, right? The sort of sweet 15, that moment super critical, right? Super important as a part of that faith walk. And and it's at also the bonus is it's at an incredibly important age too. When, you know, you're adolescent, you're, you're coming, you're making up your own ideas, you're deciding to chart your own course, you're maybe thinking about what you want to study in college. You got all these different things mm-hmm. happening. And at that moment, is a even though it's a custom it's a tradition with a little t a custom of bringing the young girl into a parish you know um celebration essentially with extended family in the context of a mass to celebrate this kind of rite of passage and here your idea is like let's use that moment 
as a moment to, you know, to evangelize, grow, build competence, build a, in, evangelic zeal, like really connect this person with their faith. And it's like, to me, I, I just, when I, when I saw that, I was like, oh man, this, this person really knows what they're doing. Even before I knew who you were, I was like, this person really knows what she's doing and she's on to something. Cause it's super important from my, from my vantage point. Thank you. No. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for, for those kind words and for the affirmations. Um, yeah, I would say that definitely inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I really, cause it started all with a, like a paper, like a, my, one of my first papers I did in a class. Um, and w- when I started grad school and it just went from there, like I, I, I tell people like I'm obsessed with quinceañeras and my friends, you know, they had to hear me every day talk about quinceañeras um, and how excited I would get about them. Um, because if we really think about it, it's, you know, like you're saying, like young women are going through um, a time in their life when they're 15, 16, transitioning into, you know, look starting looking into college and many life choices. But it's such a huge communal moment. Like when we think, you know, I know sometimes people see they think of quinceañeras and like, oh, this huge party, the dress, the dance, the makeup, all these things. But it's like if we were to like really look at it through a lens of what are these women, you know, going through, right? Like one of the things that gets me so excited is that there's so many choices that happen during quinceañera. It, it's a long preparation process. You know, for some families, it might be three to six months to a year to two years. And it's like, Day to day, families are making choices about things. They're having conversations. Um, young Latinos have agency about, you know, what colors they want to use for their theme colors, what dress they want to wear, all these little different things. And there are times when, like, they, I mean, I don't know, maybe have the most agency, like, sometimes, like, not the most, but, like, that they express it the most because it's all about, like, this big day for them and their family. And they might not find themselves in other times in their lives where they're allowed to do those things or like allowed to speak that much or say the, you know, as many choices that they make. I mean, hopefully they have those experiences in times, but I just really find the quinceanera for it to be like this time of um, preparation of a family, preparation of uh, a communal preparation, um, conversation. And for us to think about how is it that it's celebrated in the church, right? Um, for us to to think of, you know, we, I know a lot of families are leaving the church, unfortunately, and for that when a quinceanera happens, families are coming to the church to ask right. for a blessing. Like, they might be church shopping, they might not. Some are very involved and have, you know, are girls who are very involved in their youth group and want to have a quinceanera, others may not. But it's like, that does show something about their faith. Whether it may be the size of a mustard seed, you know, or um, as big as, I don't know, like just because they're more involved and just, you know, are, are faithful Catholics. But it expresses something about their their faith and the family's faith, which is what gets me really excited. You know, For that sure. we can um, evangelize to young women during this time and that all the choices that they get to make about the celebration is that how can we help them to make those choices also when they have the liturgical celebration? Mm. You know, depending um, the diocese or the parish, um, 
Some parishes, you know, help them or allow them to pick the gospel reading, to pick the lectors, um, to just do different things. And so it's like, how can we encourage families for that time to not be just something like another thing that gets added to the list, but really be engaging and really be transforming, you know, um, to kind of help them to ref to do some theological reflection. Um, and that's also another thing that I, I'm really excited about, Ben that is to help young women make that connection between their faith and their culture and the traditions and faith that is passed down by their family and their their, their parents or grandparents. That's one of the the super cool things about this idea that you've hit upon and this apostolate that you're starting is that it, it does occur in the context or within a kind of liturgical experience, right? So as this young person is, to your point, you know, taking on this personal agency and making these plans and engaging in this multi, you know, generational celebration, all of that is in the context of a liturgy, is in the context of a parish community, is in the mm -hmm. context of, you know, the priesthood and gospel readings, and frankly, things that they probably won't be won't have that level of involvement again until if and until they have a church wedding, in which case they would kind of do, you know, a similar plan. So it's such a great gift to be able to have that moment, this incredible moment, but also in the context of the church, because you would think that then, you know, the association of this rite of passage, of this personal agency, all of those things are being at least subconsciously regarded from a church standpoint, right? And for those young women who are maybe not living as active a Christian life as as they perhaps would like to or should be, that can be a really meaningful mustard seed, right? To your point, that the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit can give can water and then, you know, it, it can give bloom at some point down the line. But it's just such a critical moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, you know, it's also, I mean, a lot of young women, when they, depending again on the parishes, they have to usually sometimes be enrolled in confirmation or have received their confirmation. So for me, it's also like the, um, the work that I want to do is to help young women reflect on this moment, but also to help them understand you know connect like how is what you're currently learning in your confirmation classes also a part of this right that it's not like disconnected but it's like rather immerse like the two um, or help them to kind of learn more about the holy spirit and how we can call upon the holy spirit to guide us throughout the planning process of the quinceanera um, and throughout the decisions that they make um, for their quinceanera so it's, it's something, like I said, I'm really excited about. Um, at the same time, it is challenging to do. Of course. Um, just because there's so many things that, you know, the um, consumerism is offering to them. That was another oh, thing, too. that's huge. That's like yeah. a whole, yeah. Um, of something that I really reflected on and also through, you know, throughout the challenge um, and putting a business plan together and just different things that I reflected about, like, these girls are being targeted by, you know, all these different shops and markets and like offering them, you know, just what they think they want. Right. Like, um, and where are we, like, how are we reaching out to them? 
like if, if, a, if a girl is to just type in online quinceanera, like all the things that are gonna pop up is about like the party. It's like, how is she supposed to learn what the liturgical celebration looks like? Like, you know, where is she supposed to find information about if she wants to celebrate the quinceanera in her parish? Where does she find out that information? You know, they have to call the parish or look on the website. A lot of parish websites have, you know, a tab for quinceaneras and all. But, I mean, they're just, the first thing that's out there is all of the different shops and vendors. And, you know, I think they're the ones who are our competition, unfortunately. No Um, no question. And by the way, it's not just... um, you know, products or services or consumerism, but also ideologies mm-hmm. that um, that are targeting. And I use that word advisedly, even though we use that word in marketing all the time, but it's kind of doubly true in this case. It definitely is a target of these because, you know, brands and other, you know, organizations, what, whether what they're selling is a beautiful dress or they're selling an ideology, recognize the importance of this community of young Latinas as being really strategically important for the future of their companies and the future of their brands. And so you have all of these secular forces paying attention, maybe for the first time ever, to this same segment of women that you are talking to with Bendecida. And I I definitely agree with you. I affirm that they're the competition. But I think in some cases it goes beyond products, right? Beyond right. services and into and into ideologies and, and ways of thought because of how influential this group is and is becoming. Yes. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Like in thinking about, you know, if this is something that um, the family is celebrating, you know, where is it that they're getting, um, who's telling them, you know, what has to be done during the quinceanera or like how are things, you know, like el baile or like, you know, what has to be bought. It's the market, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And that this beautiful celebration as it gets passed on from generation to generation, slowly, you know, the family interprets it, right? And, and creates it into what they want it to be. But depending how close or far away they are from the church, it slowly, you know, can become into something that is not that of uh, like a spiritual um, experience or journey, but rather something that's more just about the party. Um, so definitely you are right about that, that they're not just selling products, but it's like this ideology in the, uh, in the marketing world, you know, we, we often talk about, um, life stages, these moments of inflection in a given consumer's life where they become, they, they do away with previous habits, if you will, and are willing to take on new ones. And they generally happen, as you can imagine, you know, when you get married and when you have your first child and when you buy your first home. It's like these major moments of inflection. And in that moment, because you're entering a new reality, you're able to look at things in a different way. And, you know, if you're brand X, maybe create a new buying habit with brand X, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. The quinceañera is that, but in the spiritual journey. Like, that's how I view it, right? And, and, and so I think that we as a church need to pay a special attention to that moment. And that's why I think what, you know, Bendecida is and could be is, is so important. Now, right, right now with Bendecida, it's resources, right, principally ways it to, to your point, like, hey, if I Google quinceañera, you want to be a listing there so people can avail themselves of understanding how to actually do this in the proper way and understand what's behind it. Mm-hmm. But as you think about the future, and I don't know if that's in your business plan, but what do you envision? Like, what could it be? 
Yeah. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I have so many <laughs> plans for the future. So Feature film. Feature film. That's yes, my idea. I, you know, well, the funny thing is that, like, as I was, ref- you know, um, thinking about Vendicida and um, just all summer long, I was walking one day on campus and I was kind of like thinking about all the things I needed to do. And then I just like there was this moment where I was like, wait, this is not only a ministry about the quinceañeras. This is a ministry also that can be available to young Latinas who are ministers and want to serve young women. You know, people like me um, that can be like those bridge builders or those connectors or those I don't know what I would call them, but like where they're the ones who maybe like. I don't know, like nationwide, right? Like I have a cross, like I, maybe something like Bendecida Ministries where it's like I have, you know, yeah, many young Latinas, young adults who are ministers all across the nation and who are interested in serving, um, you know, kind of like teaching more about the quinceanera, but not, the point is too that everything that um, our resources, you know, that we come up with is that not, like it not only is... Um, used and relatable to the quinceanera but that it can be used in many other ways within hispanic ministry so that's really one of my goals too um that people can use these resources and say like hey you know when you see like has like this resource on um um you know, faith and culture. And I can also use this for, you know, my high schoolers. So that, like, it's not just one thing. But I also, like I said, I was oh, sorry, I, was, I went on a tangent, but I was talking about young adult women, um, that they can be also connect with ministers. Um, what I learned while I was this past year when I was working with a couple ministers was that, like, even though they needed resources to form their young girls, they also needed accountability and they just needed help and just needed someone to to listen to them and to kind of bounce ideas off of. And it was kind of like just, just some one-on-one time because sometimes mm. when you work in youth ministry um, or in a parish, even though you have a lot of volunteers, your work can end up just being you. You know, like it can get a little lonely sometimes, um, even though, again, you have a staff and you have coworkers and you have volunteers at the same time. Um depending on your parish and the size of it, you can end up kind of like not having as many. And so I found myself as being this person who was able to, you know, not only plan out a few activities and assist them with like retreats, but also just someone to kind of um, have conversation with and have like theological reflection with and talk about, um, you know, what the girls are going through and kind of their experiences. And so that's what I would see other young adult women doing Mm. that they're, you know, they're able to, Really, the message of like what has been to see that, what are our values and our mission to other ministers, but then that also are able to be, um, you know, there for other ministers and be able to like maybe at some point um, prepare young adult women to give the retreats um, and form them in some way. So I don't know, I just have like, I feel like I have a lot of plans, um, but I just need to start, you know, I'm starting very small um, since this is just kind of all happened so fast this past summer. Like everything starts off with a single, a single step and then it builds on that. But what you have that a lot of things don't is a really important core insight to build from. I think the other thing that's interesting, I was, I was talking earlier today actually with um, a guy by the name of Frank LaRocca, who's the composer in residence for the, um, the uh, Benedict the Sixteenth Institute, which is 
all around basically reclaiming and creating a new pipeline for the arts in the church, right? And he's a super accomplished composer. And one of the things that he's done, and I gave him total props for doing it, was he actually composed a mass. It's called the Mass of the Americas. And the sole purpose, I'm going to have him on the show, and we're, we're presumably going to talk about this, but I think it ties to what you just said. He wrote this thing called the Mass of the Americas, which is basically a musical setting for the Mass, okay? And it was commissioned by Archbishop Cordelioni in San Francisco, and it's one of its, it has two stated purposes. And stated purpose number one is to bridge the gap between the Latino and Anglo communities in the United States liturgically. Because, as you and I both know, sometimes you have, you know, two churches in one parish. Not even sometimes, most times, right? You have both of those things. And what I think, Bendecida, and what you're doing, what you're building now, has the potential to do, in addition to the things you just described, is it can also be a way to build the bridge between both, again, Latino and Anglo in the same way that that Mass of the Americas is doing, but also intragenerationally within the Latino community. Because what mm-hmm. happens a lot of the times is if you're second or third generation, like you love your 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 mom and your tias and your abuela, like you love everybody and you, I get that. But at the same time, there's a lot of relatability issues with it, with maybe popular culture things that are happening. Like how do we feel about X thing or X person? And there's not the same point of connection. So I think there's like a gap in some cases between generations. And the cool thing about what you're building is that it has the potential also to be a point of bringing together because that's what a quinceañera does is it builds brings together multiple generations around a common thing. And so I think that's a, another benefit of, of like future plans. I know you have, you're starting, you know, one, one step to run the marathon, <laughs> but, but that's another area that I think can pay off dividends in the long run. Yes. No, I totally agree with that. You know, like I, um, I think that not only as we, you know, the goal is to like form the girls, the young women and the ministers, and bridge cultures, but also the parents. You know, as I've been thinking about um, the differences and kind of like those challenges that as young Latinas are navigating cultures, like that their parents are challenged a lot by understanding that. You know, the parents are going through their own challenges, but it's like, how do we also help them to understand mm what experience their daughters are going through. And uh, another thing too, is like, I was thinking about, you know, I think a lot of the time, sometimes we ask our question about like, oh, you know, what is specifically the celebration or how is it celebrated? But for me, for quinceañera is like, it is important to know what quinceañera is, but like, it's like, we need to know who are the quinceañeras? Like, what are they going through day to day like what are their experiences who are they and and even though they you know they may be come to a few sessions or retreat or whatever it may be for us to get to know them because it's when we get to know them and learn about them and their day-to-day experiences that then we can like serve them even better because we get to understand them who they are um and then get to you know lift and learn more about like okay I learned about you and how you see life and your experience. And it's like, how is it that the quinceañera can lift you as a person? Mm. Um, which is it's something that's really important to me too. And that's key of, of culture of like, for there are many people who, you know, 
know a lot about quinceañeras and like, oh, I've gone to so many quinceañeras, you know, I just went to one last weekend. And there are those who, it's something very new that they have. Very new. Don't, yeah. very new. There are, you know, questions of like, how do I preach to the, to, to the young women, the families? Which that's another thing too, of thinking about the celebration. It's like, is it in Spanish? Is it in English? Is it bilingual? Like, you know, what do we do? Um, but to kind of, to see where are these girls at, where are the families, and to understand from those experiences, what is it that needs, how can we, you know, develop something and help them throughout that process. I know you've studied uh, Latino theological movements. Is there a theology of the quince? You know, I did a lot of research and I didn't find one. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that something, yeah, something needs to be written or more investigated. Um, a lot of the, some of the research that I found was more, you know, looking into like the history, um, how is it celebrated, you know, Chambelanes, um, and the damas, you know, a little bit all kind of like defining like what, how, not defining, but I would say more of an outline of kind of like how it's celebrated. Um, and there's one, um, Sister Angela Revia, who did a lot of work and, and um, came up with some guidebooks in the early 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mm. And, but not necessarily like a theology, I would say. And that mm. is something that, again, like maybe I just have not come across something, but it is something to consider of thinking about, about like what, you know, what is it, right? Of kind of like how can we see it through yeah. the theological lens because the way I see it, it's like all the things, you know, when we, do, you know, look at the, the way it's celebrated is important, but it's like thinking about how is this helping young women um, with like their moral development, right. Of like their development within like relationships and like as adolescents and thinking about like the development of their faith and also looking at like what is the role of young Latinas in the church and in liturgy, and um, so like there are many little you know pieces that I I think um, I've done on my own research thinking of baptism and they they renew their baptismal promises during the quinceanera they receive a blessing and renew their baptismal promises so also looking at that of being mm. you know. Um, helping them to understand that and like their call to discipleship. Um, so, so no, the way I would say the answer is no, maybe I might be surprised and someone might come to me and say, yes, there is, <laughs> but I have not found one. Um, yeah, I definitely haven't come across either. I mean, you can imagine that there's some things and you've touched on some of them, right? But there's this kind of rite of passage and all these rites of passage on some, in some level are indicative broadly about vocation, right? It's like who you were made to be. Uh, and, and on some level, whose you are, right? All of these things. Mm-hmm. The universal call to holiness, too, because, you know, here we are, we're celebrating this moment of going from girl to woman. What does that mean? That means mm-hmm. on some level, you know, again, vocation, but also this 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 moment of recognizing our call to holiness in different ways and in different walks of life. Um, so th- there's like a number of things there that I think broadly could be developed into a, into a, a broader theology. It also reminds me, I don't know if you know this, but um, I didn't know it until I actually did one, but the, you know, the church has had historically a number of other rites that have been either suppressed or they just kind of fell out of use, right? One of them mm-hmm. is when a couple gets engaged and it's called the rite of betrothal. And it was something that was pretty common pre-Vatican II. 
And it and it's basically a ceremony that a deacon or priest does. And it announces to the community, hey, you're engaged. Yeah, because usually when you get engaged, it's like whatever it is, six months, a year before you actually have the day. And it's beautiful. And I, I when my daughter was going to get married, I did, I heard about this and I did all this research and I found the, mist, the, the, the rubrics on how to do it. So I did it at my parish. I presided at, at a rite of betrothal for my own daughter. And I was thinking to myself, we're like, where'd this thing go, you know? And so mm-hmm. all of these things, all of these rites, you know, the Keens say, these celebrations, I think, are part of a broader tapestry of, of you know, traditions that ultimately help keep us in community, right? Keep us connected to this church, the, which is the sacrament of salvation, right? That has all these ways that we can kind of, you know, continue on our faith walk. Um, and, and, I, and I think, you know, because some of them have fallen out of use— that maybe the quince can be a way for us to kind of regain, you know, some of those uh, of those things, um, and maybe not even just for the, for the Latino community. Maybe at some point for other people, you know, um, mm-hmm. be, because it's it's a beautiful uh, opportunity. No, I think so. Yeah, like the um, for the quinceanera. I mean, it was approved or um, officially become officially approved by the Vatican, like in two thousand seven which is not wow. that long ago. Super recent. I didn't know that. Super recent. You know, I, I, as I read and did the research, I was like, you know, so many people were ministering to them in the sick. I mean, as here in the United States, as from my, like, as my research in the early sixties, seventies, eighties, like all those years pass. And until 2007, again, from what I, I read, um, which is recent, but it's beautiful to see also that like the church saw a need, you know, that they, at the time, um, before it was approved, like the people were doing, you know, their own prayers or putting together, um, different blessings, um, or adapting the birthday blessing, I guess you could say. Um, and, and now, you know, we have, we have the quinceanera, I think it's, I don't have the official name of it, but it's, I believe it's like the order of blessing, um, on the 15th birthday or something like that. It's like the mm-hmm. official name of the right. But um, so it's just beautiful to see also like that the people celebrate something um, that is a life cycle, that is just a part of life and that the church sees, you know, that this event is happening and how can we, you know, lift this event or, or be a part of this event. Um, or, you know, because again, the, the families are coming to the church to ask for a blessing. Um, so, so I think, yeah, I just really need to see kind of also all those sorts of different blessings that we have and rights that we have, um, within the church and, um, different experiences and times in our lives where we can celebrate together. Mm. Um, and not just, you know, for, for specific things, but for many other things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, you talked about earlier about, um, you know, in this idea of creating a space for Latinas and places where you don't see yourself reflected, right? Another one of those places is as entrepreneurs and leaders of your own startup, right? Which, of, which of course you are. And I know that that's hard work, but I can tell you from what, what I've you know, learned about what you're doing and, and the vision that you have, um, I think it's so worth um, pursuing and I'm super happy that you're that you're doing it. And I think that there's a lot of prosperity, um, you know, to come for it because of how needed it is in our particular time and place in the church. Thank you. Yes. I I mean, I'm excited. You know, I don't know where um, where things are 
going within the next year or so, but the opportunity this summer with OSV was amazing. And, um, I just, I'm, I'm excited about to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do (laughs) with the work and (laughs) the people that, you know, God also puts in my life, um, that are, that are kind of like here and there that just pop out of nowhere sometimes. Um, and that together as a community, we can build the church, right? Um, and that we can create spaces for the Latino community and for the Latino community to ex- continue to express their faith um, in whatever language it may be that they want to express it with through their culture. Um, and yeah, I'm just really excited about that. And also to just think about how is it that we're helping young people to accept who they are. That was another thing too about that I'm that can step in to see this is the goal is to help young women to understand a little bit about where they come from. Mm-hmm. And because I've been thinking about like when you reject your family, your roots, where you come from, how you look, how you talk, if you reject all those things, it's most likely that you're going to reject God because God is a part of your family's tradition and experience and faith. And so it's concerning, you know, that, um, young people that you just don't accept who you are, your roots, your heritage, all those things. And it's really important that we help young people to Latinos and Latinas to help them to understand more of where they, they come from. And like, like you said earlier, who is we are right at the end of the day, I think that's most important of like, you know, we can get critiques for so many different things, but at the end of the day, God created me and I'm, you know, God's creation, even if, because again, with the whole, um, living in between cultures, like sometimes you just, for me, you don't feel a Mexican enough. You don't feel American enough. So it's like, I've just learned to live in the in-between space, but at the end of the day too, knowing that, um, I'm created by God and that's what matters. Amen. Living in the hyphen. Absolutely. Living in the hyphen. Yes. But, but it, but it's, but it's super true though, about if you, if you reject your culture, if you reject your background, you're going to throw a lot of baby out with the bathwater. And usually, um, that's not going to lead you in a, in a good way. Um, in terms of connecting you like the Holy Spirit does with people for the journey. And he does that all the time, this kind of like amazing synchronicity, a lot of that comes by way of making yourself available and putting yourself out there. So if people want to, before we get to our last segment here, mm-hmm. uh, if people want to see what you're doing or just want to follow you, right, in the work around this new entrepreneurial endeavor in the church, how do they do that? Like, what do they, where do they go? What do they check out? How do they sign up? Like, what social feeds do they follow? Like, g- give us that. Yes. So currently, we only have Bendecida. It only has, we have our website. So you can find us at Bendecida, B-E-N-D-E-C-I-D-A-X-V.com. Um, and there's, um, you know, you can drop in a message and send it to us. And um, we don't currently have any socials just yet, but that will be upcoming as well. Great. And we'll have this information in the show notes too. So that's Bendecida mm-hmm. XV, the XV Roman numerals for 15, obviously the critical number, mm-hmm. the age that we're talking about here. So we'll include that and some info, um, you know, on, on, on yourself, you know, LinkedIn, that kind of stuff in the show notes so people can, can follow you and, and become a little bit more aware of everything that you're up to. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Alejandra, are you ready to play? Wait, what? Wait, what? No, I don't know. <laughs> 
That is the correct Maybe. response. That is the correct response. One point, one point there. All right, you get one point just for saying the title back. So that's great. That's awesome. No, awesome. Um, okay. We didn't. We didn't get a chance to talk about this, but I do happen to know that before you decided to become a theology, uh, a, you know, masters of divinity theologian and entrepreneur, you were once an aspiring violin maker. And so hopefully this first question will be, uh, will hit the spot. So as a once aspiring violin maker, Alejandra, you'll be well aware of Antonio Stradivari, right? The world famous Mm -hmm. 17th century violin maker whose instruments today sell for tens of millions of dollars to the extent you can even find them. What you may not know is that two of these famous instruments were unfortunately destroyed very recently in the 20th century. And they were destroyed in a very unusual way. What was the unusual way that two of the famous Stradivarius violins were destroyed just a few decades ago? Oh, I I should know this because it's probably all over the news everywhere. (laughs) Um, I don't know. For some reason, like a fire comes to mind, but that's not unusual, I would say. I'm going to take that as a partially correct answer because they actually met, both of these instruments met their demise in airplane crashes. And in sometimes, you know, unfortunately in airplane crashes, there is fire involved. So you get a partial correct answer. In 1949, a French violinist named Jeanette Neveu had given a recital in Scotland and was flying to New York for another performance, but sadly that plane came down in the Azores with the loss of all on board and her Stradivarius. And then four years later, in 1953, another violinist was on an Air France flight bound for also New York. Apparently you shouldn't go to New York. Um, When it got into trouble during a storm, it crashed in the Alps and it killed, obviously, the people on board. And also, sadly, the Stradivarius was lost forever. So um, those are the unusual way that a couple of the Stradivarius just recently met their demise. Oh, that's so So tragic. It it is. It is. I saw another thing related that one of the, I forget which one it was, maybe it was Yo-Yo Ma or somebody recently. um, It was a $25 million dollar. Uh, violin. I also didn't know that uh, Stradivarius made guitars too. He made other instruments, not just the, I guess, the famous violin. But anyway, mm-hmm. he's he's known for that principally. All right, Alejandra. So you get a partial correct answer on number one. <laughs> Here's question number two: Which of these is false about the Alamo, one of the most well-known attractions in your home city of San Antonio, Texas? <laughs> Which, oh, by man. the way, I just toured. I just toured the Alamo for the first time two weeks ago. So. Um, All right, so which of these is false about the Alamo? Ready? Is it A, is it A, the Alamo has been commemorated on everything from postage stamps to apparel to the famous 1960 film The Alamo, starring Burt Lancaster as Davy Crockett? Is it B, after the war, the state of Texas bought the site of the Alamo and it was used as a meat warehouse and a grocery store for decades? Or is it C, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, the Mexican leader of the Alamo attack, was pivotal in the invention of modern chewing gum. Which of those is false, Alejandra? Oh, can I I call a friend? Yes, you can call a friend. (laughs) Your friend is me. (laughs) We have no technology other than that. Okay, so it's false. So which one's false? And then can you repeat the first one? Of course. The Alamo has been commemorated on everything from postage stamps to apparel to the famous 1960 film, The Alamo, starring Burt Lancaster as Davy Crockett. 
Okay, and then there was Santa Ana. There was After the War. It was a grocery store. And then, yes, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana was pivotal in the invention of modern chewing gum. Which of those is false? I feel like the, like, the last one seems kind of obvious, but you know, it's like sometimes like, they're like tricky. And so, I don't know. I'm going to go with A. And you are correct, Alejandra. Yay! Because in fact, <laughs> in fact, it wasn't Burt Lancaster who played in the movie The Alamo. It was John Wayne, a famous John Wayne who played Davy Crockett in that movie. Mm-hmm. It is, in fact, true that the uh, state of Texas did buy the site. And it was a warehouse that like stored meat for decades. And they had a grocery store attached to the back of it uh, for a very long time. And it's also true that the Mexican leader of the Alamo attack did basically lead to the invention of modern day chewing gum because he took when he was in exile living in new york he he brought with him some of the chicle that the mayans had used for centuries and he gave it to an inventor named thomas adams he thought it could be like a good material for like a replacement for rubber instead adams ended up using it as this kind of like little ball of uh, you know this little like basically chewing gum and he found that druggists love it they sold it all kids love to chew it and so that's where the famous Adams, you know, chewing gum company came from. And in fact, the little oh. chiclets that we still have in all over, you know, Mexico and in Latin America, those are Adams gum. So it's the same one. And it was uh, Antonio Lopez de Santana who actually brought the chiclet to this man who ended up inventing gum. So, yes, that one is also true. All right. Awesome. Last question, Alejandra. And there's always a time machine question. Always a time machine question. So here we go. You get a chance to travel 75 years into the future, okay? The year is 2096. And as you can imagine, commercial space travel is very common. In fact, China, the US, and Mexico have founded colonies on Mars. And the first generation of humans born on Mars is now a reality. All three countries have made provisions for missionaries and religious workers to visit these colonies. The one stipulation is that those visiting need to stay in each community for a two-year period minimum. Which colony do you choose to visit? China's, U.S., or Mexico? Or do you opt out of the whole thing and keep your feet firmly on earthly soil? Which one do you choose? Oh. Hmm. You know, I would choose, I think I would choose Mexico because... I love visiting Mexico, and I'm really curious of what that would look like <laughs> somewhere else. The, like the, in, was it Mars, you said, or where? Me- Mexican Where's... Martians, yes. That would yes. be, talk about bicultural. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe some decent uh, Martian cuisine, too. I, I agree with you. I think I would go to Mexico as well. Very good. Alejandra, such a privilege to have you on the show. Love having young, excited entrepreneurs who see an opportunity and go chase it. So um, really great to have you. My prayer is for God's prosperity on everything that you're building. And you can count on myself and all of us as fans watching from the sidelines as you build uh, Bendecida into the great thing that it will be. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I'm so grateful for this opportunity and um, we'll be praying for you and the show. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you're hearing my voice and you're hearing Alejandra's voice, that means that you need to subscribe right now. Subscribe to the show and do share it with your friends. Please get the show to grow. That's how it grows. If people share it and talk about it and do all that good stuff. So make sure that you do so that we can see you again next time on another episode of Living the Call.
If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Castan and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.